If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 3? While you're turning there, on May 19th of this year, the most recently anticipated royal wedding took place in St. George's Chapel, Windsor, which happens to be the Queen's local church, between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. As well as being a very personal event for the royal family, that was also an international blockbuster. It was watched by 24 million people in the UK, that's a third of the population. In the US, it was watched by 29 million people. In fact, one member of our household got up at the crack of dawn to watch it, and the other members stayed in bed and tuned in later on the internet. I'll leave you to guess who did what. My wife's, my wife's given the game away by waving there. Um, globally, the audience was 1.9 billion people. And they were drawn to what was dubbed a fairy tale wedding between an English prince with a tragic past and an American movie star with a bright, shining future. She made history because she's now the only non-white member of the British royal family. All the rich and famous were there. Serena Williams, George Namal Clooney, Oprah Winfrey, Elton John, the Beckhams, and also, quite touchingly, 1,200 members of the public. Not in the ceremony, but in a sort of a reception where they were sold food in the grounds of Windsor Castle. The total cost was a cool 54 billion Canadian dollars. And it was the event of the year. A real romance. Now, just a few weeks ago, there was a romance of a different sort celebrated. When Val and I celebrated and marked 45 years of married bliss. There we are, it's hard to tell I know which one's the prince and which one's the movie star, but we're the ones on the right. Back in 1973, that was watched by a slightly smaller audience than the other <laughs> wedding, just about 100 people. But the romance was equally rich and equally real. In fact, it was the best thing, second to coming to know Jesus Christ, that's ever happened to me. However, there's a greater romance than a royal wedding and a greater romance than a decades-long marriage. Gene Edwards calls the gospel of Jesus Christ the divine romance. And that's why I want you to turn to John chapter 3. Because in verse 16, we're going to read a summary of it. Here it is. In fact, why don't we read it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just 24 words. You could say it in a few seconds. You could write it in less than a minute. You could memorize it in under quarter of an hour, but never fathom it in all eternity. Sometimes John 3.16 is called the golden text. Max Lucado describes this verse 
as the hope diamond of the Bible. 500 years earlier, Martin Luther called it the gospel in a nutshell. And in our series, Go With the Gospel, this is what we're going to look at this morning. What is the gospel according to John 3.16? What is that divine romance? Well, first of all, the gospel is about God. Any romance has a suitor. And the divine romance is no exception. Our verse begins, for God. Why don't we just press pause right there? Why don't we camp on that truth for a minute? Because not only is God at the beginning of this verse, actually God is at the beginning of everything. In Romans, Paul tells us, for from him and through him and back to him, are all things. And as you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll discover that God is the prime mover of everything. When the cosmos was formed out of the swirling void of the pre-creation chaos, God was there. In the beginning, God, the Bible, begins. And the whole universe came into being at the sound of his voice. When Israel was redeemed from Egypt, it wasn't just Moses who stood there before Pharaoh, breaking his power and defying his stubbornness. It was God himself who was there. When Israel was trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army and the desert, it was God who blew with that strong east wind and opened the waves so that they could cross over on dry land. When food was needed... It was God who came to their assistance, sending them the manna. 12,000 consecutive miracles of provision, that was, throughout their 40 years sojourn in the desert. Not a single delivery being missed and not a single delivery being late. When they needed meat, God blew the quail. When they needed water, the flinty rock moved after them. And when Moses spoke to it, it gushed a refreshing stream. When a savior was needed, it was God who came to the rescue, sending his one and only son into the world. And in Jesus Christ, Matthew tells us that it was God who was with us. The cross was not a miscarriage of justice. It wasn't a murder or a lynching. It was God's plan. God desired it, God designed it, and God executed it. Years before, Isaiah had said, it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. And God was not absent from Calvary. For when Jesus hung on the cross, Paul tells us that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And once his precious son was dead and buried in the tomb, God showed up again. He was there and the Bible tells us that on the third day he brought him back from the dead and demonstrated him alive with many infallible proofs. But God did much more than that. 
For in Philippians 2, we are told that he exalted him to the highest place, that God gave to him a name that was above every name, that God said to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, that God promised him that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, the gospel is about God. In the beginning, God. But not only was God there in that history-changing, gospel-making moment, but he was actually there when you and I came to faith as well. The gospel isn't about us coming to God. It's about God coming to us. It's not about us finding God. It's about God finding us. It's not about us receiving God, it's about God receiving us. Because God chose us from the foundation of the world. Because God called us in the fullness of his grace. And God even gave us the faith to believe the gospel and invite Jesus Christ back into into our lives. The gospel is about God. It's God's plan, it's God's wisdom, it's God's doing. God is all over it. In the beginning, God, for God so loved the world. And the very reason you and I are here today is because of God. You didn't come under your own recognizance this morning. You didn't come in response to the invitation of a friend. It may have looked like that, but actually... It was because the God of the universe was calling each one of us because there's purpose in our being here. That's what the gospel is all about. It's about God encountering man, God meeting us in our need, and God making a difference. And every one of us this morning can taste of the goodness of the gospel in different ways. The gospel doesn't have just one flavor, it has many flavors. It's not just relevant to the unsaved, it's relevant to everybody. And God doesn't just meet us in redemptive forgiveness, he can meet us in transforming power. That's the good news of the gospel. And God is here this morning to do that very thing. Well... Our verse goes on, it says, for God so loved the world. The second truth that this tells us about the gospel is that the gospel is about love. When John defines the essence of God in his first letter, he doesn't say God is strength or God is power or God is justice. He tells us, That God is love. No matter how true those other things are. The preeminent thing that struck John when he thought about and meditated on who God really was. He equated him with love. And in this divine romance, God's love is unlike any other. Human love is based on feelings. It only has one focus. It needs to be stoked and reciprocated to grow and flourish. 
you fall into this love and unfortunately you can fall out of this love too. By the way, did you know that that now is the number one reason why couples get divorced? When uh, the star of like the Lego movie 2, Channing Tatum and his wife Jenna uh, Dewan got divorced in April of this year, sources close to them gave the reason as they just fell out of love. We've come to equate love with something that's fickle and something that's fragile, something that flares up and something that dies out. But that's not what God's love is like. God's love isn't based on feelings, it's based on choice. Human love is variable, but God's love is constant. Human love is conditional, but God's love is unconditional. And our text tells us that because it says, for God so loved the world. Now when it says that in John, the world isn't the planet, it's the people who live on the planet. It's you and me. God doesn't get excited when he thinks about the Grand Canyon or he sees the Great Barrier Reef or visits the Niagara Falls as dramatic and as majestic as those things are. But he does get excited when he thinks about Europeans and North Americans and South Americans and Africans and Orientals and Aboriginal people. You see, the creation is the work of his hands. But the people are the desire of his heart. But there's more in this. John's world isn't geographical. And it's not just political people. It's actually spiritual too. Because in John's gospel, the world aren't just people who are apathetic to God. But they're actually people who are antagonistic towards God. God loves those who hate him, who despise him, who blaspheme him, and who reject him. That great song that we sang just a few minutes ago, that's about this sort of love. That's about the love in the divine romance, overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. No shadow it won't light up, mountain it won't climb up, coming after me. No wall it won't kick down, light won't tear down, coming after me. That's the love of the divine romance coming after us, setting its affection upon us, moving heaven and earth and coming to where we are so that we might be able to know him. Now some people might say, well this is just rhetoric. Sounds good, but when you look around, well, maybe it's a different kettle of fish. Two weeks ago, Val and I met a beautiful little 10-year-old girl. She was born with half a heart. Already she's had three bypass surgeries. Her mum said to us, her condition's palliative. Right now she's on a children's wish trip to Norway. Just this week, we've heard of an earthquake on Lombok. Just a couple of days ago, there was a quadruple fatal shooting in Fredericton. Two police officers and two members of the public 
We read about wildfires in California and in British Columbia. And it's easy to say, God so loved. Well, actually, our text tells us why that is true. You see, a better translation of John 3.16 would be, for God loved the world like this. He gave his only son. That's how we know that the love of God is real. Not by the cues that are in the world. This is a fallen world. People are going to hell in a handbasket. When sin affects who we are, horrible things like that do happen. But God's love is real over all. That's the message of the gospel. And we know it's real because he gave his only son. The third point is that the gospel is about Jesus. When God gave his son, he gave himself. But you know what? There's even more to this than God just giving his son, Jesus coming into the world. In in the Greek language, that, that word give is didomi. And it actually has sacrificial overtones. So when Mary and Joseph go into the temple to present Jesus to the Lord, it says they didomid, they gave a sacrifice. Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to didomi his life, to give his life as a ransom for many. There's sacrificial overtones. And even in this summary of the gospel, John is communicating that the love of God is a redemptive love. That when God gave Christ, he was giving a sacrificial lamb to deal with our sins. If you think about that, that imagery is all over the gospel story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the very place where the sacred flocks for sacrifice were raised. His first visitors were shepherds. John designated him as the Lamb of God. He wasn't talking about his gentle character. He was talking about his violent, premature and significant death. At the height of his career, Jesus sets his face as flint and goes to Jerusalem. And when the disciples question him, he says the Son of Man is going to be killed, sacrificial, at the hands of the priests. He was nailed to the cross at nine in the morning, the hour of the daily sacrifice. He died at three in the afternoon, the hour of the afternoon sacrifice. Like the Passover lamb, he was bled, but not a bone in his body was broken. And when he died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. So making the way for man and God to be reconciled once again. The gospel is about Christ. But it's about Christ crucified. It's about him dying on the cross to take away our sin. You know, the the gospel isn't 
just about a journey. It's not just about a conversation. It's not just about hanging around church. It's not about reading our Bibles necessarily. It might include all that. It might include fellowship. It might include enjoying worship. But at the heart of it, the gospel is an encounter with a dying Savior who died on the cross to take away our sin and having his blood cover that sin and transform us, taking us out of darkness into light, reconciling enemies into sons and covering us with redemptive grace. That's what the gospel is about. Now, while the gospel is good, it's not cheap. God is the suitor. His love is undeniable. The world, you and me, are its object. His sacrifice is adequate. But the gospel is incomplete without a response. And the response comes from you and me. And this text tells us what that response is. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his, one, his only son that whoever believes, believeth, the old version says, in him. The gospel is about believing. When John Patton uh, went to the New Hebrides Island in the South Seas as a missionary, he was the third or fourth missionary there. These were cannibal people. They'd eaten the first two and driven away the third, and then he went. Because he knew he had a message he wanted to communicate, because God loved those people. And he wanted a saving encounter with them. The only trouble was, in their language, there was no word for believe and there was no word for faith. And so he was stumped. Then one day, two native people killed a deer and brought it to him as a gift. They had a long and heavy trek and they were exhausted when they reached his house. One of them immediately flopped down in a chair and said these words, it sure is good to rest my whole weight on this chair. And then inspiration struck. And Patton said, that's the phrase I'm going to use for believing. To rest my full weight on. And you know what, folks? That's what the gospel is all about. It's about resting all our weight on Jesus, on who he is, and on what he has done. It's about putting confidence in him. It's about having trust in him. It's not about knowing facts about him. It's not about reciting creeds over him. It's not about being able to tell how many parables he taught, how many miracles he worked. It's not about reciting the Apostles' Creed. It's not knowing about the Trinity but it's about having a personal and up-close encounter with Jesus Christ when we rest the full weight of our lives on him and on him alone. There's something else here 
Because the tense of that verb, believes, is present continuous. What it means is this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes and keeps on believing in him would not perish but have eternal life. What it means is the gospel isn't just vibrant and effective in our lives because we put our hand up and said a prayer last year or 10 years ago. What it means is, what is our state of belief right now? It's talking about current faith. It's talking about present day trust. It's talking about ongoing belief. And maybe there are some people here that you put your trust in Christ a while ago, but you've lost trust today. You're just going through the motions. I've walked with God 52 and a half years. But you know what? My relationship, it began in 1966. But the effectiveness of it is what's happening in 2018. Whether I am continuing to believe today. And then finally, the gospel It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes and keeps on believing in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is about life. It's about escaping from judgment and receiving life. Tsar Alexander III was a very harsh and cruel ruler of the Russian people and would condemn Many, I mean, probably hundreds or thousands of them in a a very arbitrary way to the forced labor in the gulags. His wife, though, Maria Fedorovna, was kind and merciful. One time, a man was being sentenced to be sent to the work camps. And the Tsar had written on the bottom of his charge sheet, pardon impossible to be sent to Siberia. And his wife had such a pity on this man, she took a pen when her husband wasn't there and she changed the position of the comma to now read, pardon, impossible to be sent to Siberia. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took the pen of grace and changed the position of the punctuation on our sentence. That before that, pardon was impossible and we were to be condemned to eternal damnation. But because of the gospel, and gospel means good news, now we can, God can say to us, pardon, impossible to be sent to Siberia. Impossible to be sent to hell. That's the great news of the gospel. You know, it struck me, I was just thinking about some of the news items that we have been looking at recently. That soccer team in the caves, boy, we watched that. We We were praying for them. We were concerned about their safety and those Navy SEALs going into those flooded uh, tunnels and, and 
bringing them out one at a time. Do you know, I believe by the grace of God, he was giving the world a parable of what the gospel is like. That mankind is, is lost and, and, and the flood of God's judgment is rising. But there's one who plunged in beneath the waves of humanity to bring them to safety. That's what the gospel's about. Just a couple of days ago, those two guys in that elevator in, in Toronto, there'd been torrential rains. They went down to see if their cars were okay. The, the floodwaters started to come into the elevator and they couldn't get out. And it was coming up, coming up, coming up. Eventually, they, they managed to make cell phone connection by opening the roof. The police came and eventually the police got the door open as the waters were at their chin level. And they were talking to them on the news. And, and the, these guys, you know, they said of the policemen, you guys are heroes. And they, you know, they just, oh, it's all in a day's work. But you know what? That was a rescue mission. And by the grace of God, it was another parable that God was saying to the world. This is what the gospel is about. It's about the rising flood of God's judgment. Hell is a reality. God is a God of justice. And there's a day of reckoning. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. And it's not poetry, it's reality. And every one of us are going to stand before God and give an account of how we've lived our lives. And the deciding question is, what have we done with Jesus Christ? Have we accepted him or have we rejected him? The gospel is about being rescued and about receiving life. And you know what? This, all this talk is just a hill of beans unless you and I experience it for ourselves right here, right now, this morning. Don't put those application slides up, please. I, I believe that there are people here that need to come to Christ for the first time. We said you're not here by accident. You're not here because you've been invited. You're not here because you're curi curious. You're here because God has drawn you. And he wants you to receive the good news that God Loved you in this way. He gave Jesus Christ to die for you on the cross. And you can receive him right here, right now. And there'll be opportunity in a minute to do that. I believe that some people here are caught in that belief. That they started to believe. But you know what? It's not vibrant today. It's all overgrown you don't talk to God anymore. You don't read his word. Yeah, you come to church and you say, well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus 15 years ago. Or my parents are Christians or I go to the King's School or I come to Gateway Church. Doesn't mean a thing. Unless you are currently in a living, vital, believing relationship with Jesus Christ right now, here today. And I believe God wants to remove all the brambles from a faith overgrown so you can 
rededicate, come back, return home as the prodigal did to Jesus Christ. But the gospel is about much more than sins forgiven. It's about salvation and the Greek word salvation means spiritual, emotional and physical healing. I, I've just had a name in my mind. I, I'm going to take a risk here, so please help me. Is there anybody here called Elizabeth and you've been really looking for a breakthrough from God? There's a situation, uh, you, you, you're at a wall. I don't know what it is, but you're at a wall. I've just got a name. I haven't got a situation. Is Elizabeth here? Where? Okay, well, you know what? If you're on the internet, Elizabeth, I've got a word for you. That the first person in the New Testament to receive a miracle was Elizabeth. And God opened her barren womb and gave her a son who became a prophet. It was the beginning of the Holy Spirit moving in a new way, cosmically. And I believe that this woman, Elizabeth, God wants to give you your miracle because you've prayed and waited for years. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to meet you and give you that breakthrough. And so in the name of Jesus, might you receive that. Now, three more things. People with anxiety disorder. Anybody here with anxiety disorder? Maybe you're too anxious to put your hand down. And I'm not meaning that to be cute. That can be a very uh, debilitating thing. But if, if you are bold enough to do that and you want freedom from that, okay, there's, there's a couple of people. I, I believe, thank you. I believe God wants to touch you this morning and take away that debilitating, paralyzing fear because the gospel said God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of love and a spirit of the soundness of mind. Now, um, people with food allergies. Awful stomach pains after eating certain sorts of food. Val used to suffer with this terribly. A very restricting diet. In the pa, she got prayer, Tuesday evening prayer meeting, week after week after week, and then God challenged her and said to her, you've had enough prayer, now test it. And so she ate one piece of toast, that went down well. She ate another piece of toast, that went down well. And now she's completely uh, free of gluten intolerance. And we are eternally grateful to God for that. And I, I, I feel like, we have faith to pray for you if, if that's you. Is anybody here like that, that, that would like prayer for um, food allergies that gives you crippling stomach pain when you do that? Can, can you just, okay, there's a couple of people, that's great. And final thing I felt the Lord give me was hips and lower back. We were with a, a lady the other day at Thunder Bay, Ashley. And when I first met Ashley four years ago, I met her in a wheelchair. 
I was going to the church to preach. Her husband's wheeling her down the aisle in this wheelchair. I said, whatever happened to you? She said, I had a baby and, and my pelvis didn't go back in place. And I, I can't walk. So we prayed for her. Husband and I, we prayed for her. We, we did the old leg measuring thing. We watched her. She watched her legs grow out. Or a line. And she said, whoa, I felt that. And she got out of the wheelchair and she was fine. Because that's who God is. This is the gospel. This is the power of God touching man at the point of his need. That's what the gospel is. Good news. Is there anybody here with uh, bad hips, immobility in the lower back and pain? Well, you know what? If, if it's you, just, just put your hand up. I think it's a response of faith, actually, just to say, hey, that's me. And if Elizabeth is here and you were too shy to sit, please come and, and talk to me afterwards. and Because I, I, I really want to pray with you. Okay, I want to pray and then I'll hand things back to Ron. Father, I want to thank you, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful truth that you love us. That you gave your only son. That now if we simply turn to you and believe, we will not perish, but we'll have life. And these are indicators of life. Coming to Christ, rededicating our lives, receiving healing. It's the good news of the gospel. And so as we continue, I want to ask you that you would demonstrate your word now. In Jesus' name, amen.